Let's take a little time and talk now about the state that we are living in. Political, spiritual, maybe some life. While you are listening to Phyllis Favor. favorite listeners is pastor jonathan mason welcome back to the pastor's office this afternoon we pray that you are having a wonderful time uh, uh giving god praise on this beautiful sunday i say beautiful because every day we wake up is a beautiful day it's another opportunity for us to experience God's wonderful creation. So we're happy to be here with you, and we've got a great show today. Uh, Let me start out by saying this. When I look back over my life, when I, when I look back to my childhood and, and those very critical moments of development in my youth, I can say to you that outside of my mother and my father, the greatest influences in my life were my teachers. Not all of my teachers, because some of us didn't see eye to eye. But there were some teachers, and I'll I'll shout them out right here on the show at Abington High school, where I went to school, where I matriculated. John Worthington, Dick Bell, Jeff Franco, Doug Moister. These are men who had such a profound impact on my life that some 32 years later, I graduated in 1990. Yes, I'm old. I'm still in touch with all four of those gentlemen. Still in touch with them. Spoke to one of them just this past week. Teachers play a critical role in the lives of young people. I know we all know this, but one thing I could never understand is why teachers aren't the highest paid individuals in the land. Why are comedians paid more than teachers? Why are athletes paid more than teachers? I know you're saying, Pastor Mason, you're losing it. You're you're way out of line here. But, But think about this for a second. Teachers form, help shape and form the minds of our next generation of leaders. There's a value to that. There's a significant benefit to society and to our economy based on the work that they do. But teachers have always historically been underpaid. I want 
to explore that today. Congresswoman Frederica Wilson, a member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated, one whose CBC panels I've had an opportunity to sit on and moderate uh, in years past, along with Congressman Jamal Bowman, have introduced the American Teacher Act. The American Teacher Act would stipulate, watch this, get this, hear this, that no teacher in the United States would make less than $60,000. One of the individuals that has been critical in getting this legislation considered. It's a young lady that works with the Teacher Salary Project. She's joining us today. Her name is Nineveh Caligari. Nineveh Caligari has made it her life's mission to make sure that teachers are properly valued. I want to welcome her into the pastor's office today. Ms. Caligari, welcome into the pastor's office. Let's talk about this. Hello, it's an honor to be with you. Well, I want to thank you for your time. I want to thank you for uh, making this a priority to talk to our Philly's favorite listeners. Let's just trace back uh, the history. I'll just start with a broad question. Why is it that the proper value has never been placed on teachers, in your opinion? I think that there's been a, there's been a shift in our country uh, with women being able to have more options we weren't able to take the profession for granted any longer. And so we want women to have as many options as ever as men. Uh, and yet at the same time, what happened is the profession was not incredibly well paid, but the assumption was it was just a woman and it was just secondary income. And that was our model. And I think when I went into teaching, I absolutely knew I wasn't going to be wealthy. Uh, but I considered the work to be noble and impactful and in a lot of ways revolutionary. To find a light in young people in the classroom seemed to me like the best place that I could be. So over the past 50 years, teachers have gone from being stable in middle class uh, to now housekeeping, bartending, driving Uber, and really not being middle class professionals. You know, I was looking at the statistics. The average starting salary for a teacher in 2020, 2021 was $41,770. How does the profession attract the brightest and the best with a minimum starting salary of 41000 almost 42000 when there are so many other industries that will pay so much more? Well, I mean, I think with, you know, I think we're seeing evidence that we're not. Two-thirds of districts in our country are experiencing shortages. And I know there's that $41,000 number, but there's 9,000 districts that pay less than 40. And then there's 222 school districts in our nation that pay less than 30,000. So the other shift that we've seen recently is that Parents are now imploring their children to not go into education. I think that it is, we've hit a crisis point. And as you said, we've had a long journey for 19 years. We've been trying to raise this issue across America uh, that 
teachers deserve to have the prestige and the financial stability so that they can do their best work. We've been saying it for 19 years. And I think right now, with a combination of other salaries skyrocketing, with COVID, with the distress, with how adolescents are feeling, with Zoom school, I think, um, you know, we know most teachers are trying to create an exit plan. And so it's a devastating moment, and yet I think it's a perfect, then that becomes a perfect crisis that we as a society can say, well, let's do something about this. You know, Americans, we know how to solve big problems. We've done it many times before, and this is the one that we are suggesting that we need to solve next. You know, it's interesting. I do know a lot of teachers, and and I really feel like it kind of comes down to two schools uh, of individuals when we look at teachers today, schools, no pun intended. Uh, But there are those who are like you who enjoy seeing that light, that spark, when a student learns something new and they're willing to persevere even in spite of the fact that they may not be getting compensated in the manner in which they deserve. But then there's another side to this. There are some people who get into teaching because they can't go anywhere else, and it provides a job. I don't know if you've seen that in your journeys and in your research, but I know several individuals who graduated college and said, and you ask them, why did they become a teacher? Well, everything else I wanted to do, I couldn't get into, so I decided to teach. So now you're left with a, a good portion of that teaching workforce that really didn't want to be there in the first place. They're just trying to come get a check. Well, you know, since I've been at this for a while, I definitely have heard many times, and I think it's a very fair point, you know, what about that teacher who plays video games? Um, And I think the way that I think about that is I interviewed, before we made our movie, The American Teacher Film, I co-authored a book with Daniel Maltrup and Dave Eggers called Teachers Have It Easy, The Big Sacrifices and Small Salaries of America's Teachers. And what I learned when I interviewed hundreds of teachers around the country is that teachers have been totally isolated. They don't have even the supplies that they need. They sometimes don't see their principal as an instructional leader. They've had no coaching, no mentorship, and many, many, many of them have secondary income. So I think we've set them, we've set up a profession for them to not thrive. So I'm not 100%. Everyone knows a teacher, you know, that played videos during critical class time. And and I'm familiar with that as well. What I'm also completely familiar with as well is that the teachers that I taught with were so inspired. They were bringing magnificent lesson plans day in and day out to their students and just nourishing and being loving and being kind and being inspirational. I mean, to me, teaching social studies, I felt like I was putting on a little play every day. You know, I was trying to like reenact the World War I trenches and trying to have young people see how the technological revolution was similar to the Industrial Revolution or trying to have young people really love our democracy and be passionate about voting. Like every single day was a performance. And I know a lot, a lot more teachers who worked that way than I do the teachers who just played a video. And so we're trying to build a movement that really elevates the profession so that college youth who want to go into teaching will consider it seriously and that their parents won't tell them to forget it. So I think, I think that there's value in focusing on the, on the amazing teachers who are really doing amazing work despite these circumstances. And I do think it's fair 
to worry about people who are not performing. And I also think it's fair to have some context around how little teachers have been supported. You're listening to Philly's Favorite 100.7 FM, and we're talking to Nineveh Caligari, uh, who is with the Teacher Salary Project. She has dedicated years of her life to making sure that teachers receive the proper uh, uh, value when it comes to salaries. Congresswoman Frederica Wilson, who is a fighter, I mean, she is, I admire her so much. She has taken on this cause uh, and introduced the American Teacher Act. Uh, why don't you help our listeners understand uh, your role in helping us get to the point where this bill is actually now going to be considered by the House? Congresswoman Wilson is a warrior, um, and she's also a former teacher. She's also a former principal. So she comes at this with complete expertise and also personal experience. She also tells a story about how her son said he, you know, he's an educator, said he wanted to go into education and how everyone around him tried to dissuade him. And she was really dismayed by that. You have a talented young man who has incredible gifts and he is wanting to take those gifts into the classroom and society says no. So she realized at some point along the way that she wanted to do something about this. Um, and she drew the same conclusion that we drew, which is there's a lot of things that we can improve in schools, but until we stabilize teachers professionally, nothing else will ever really, really stick. So her team, Dr. Felton Moss, and her other beautiful, beautiful team uh, came to the Teacher Salary Project for a collaboration, and we were ready. So it's been a really incredibly exciting journey. The first piece of legislation called the American Teacher Act, it dropped on December 15th, 2022 in the 117th Congress. And it's a grant that that allows states to get enormous financial support to raise their base salary to 60000 But you have to be able to create a plan so that you can sustain those salaries moving forward once the grant terminates. So it's an exciting opportunity, and we have nine congresspeople already sponsoring it, which is a huge number. We have 50 organizations around the nation, both major teacher unions. We have three secretaries of education supporting us, teachers of the year. We're now going, I'm having, we're just having a wonderful time because we're we're also going to business leaders. We know the vast majority of business leaders want teachers to be well-paid because as they're trying to build their businesses in local communities, they want to know that the public schools can be relied on and that are stable and don't have this incredible turnover that somehow we've deemed is okay, which it's not. The other group that we're going to is we're going to um, teacher ed schools and asking those deans to stand up with us because they know that their enrollment is down. They, they, they've, they've been seeing it and they're worried. And so we're hoping, and this is, this is a big, it's a big concept to really ask people to take the wages seriously. And it's incredibly exciting. And it is a lifetime honor to work with Frederica Wilson. Like I can't tell you, my partner Ellen and I would dance around the house when we were first figuring out that this was happening. It still gives me chills. Like it is a really, it's a really extraordinary time for us. 
So, so talk to us. Uh, you know, anything that re- re- involves the House of Representatives or the Senate, uh, this question has to be raised in regard to bipartisanship. Do we see a bipartisan pathway to getting this act approved? Oh, you know, we have always been bipartisan. And I'm really proud of that legacy. We've always been interested less in your political party and more in how you value your school as it relates to your community. Uh, So we are seeking Republican support. We believe that what we're doing is so good for, for young people that we believe that we will get there and that it'll be something that is outside of, outside of political parties. Uh, right now, we are still, we're still looking. We're, we're reaching out. We have been in touch with Virginia Fox's team. We've been in touch with Mitt Romney's team. We've been contacting Condoleezza Rice. We're just really excited to bring everyone together. We think this is just patriotic and healthy and helpful and should not be political. And why do you think it's taken so long to bring this issue to the forefront? Part of the problem is that 14,000 districts in our country function autonomously. Historically, teacher salaries were 60% of district budgets, and now it's less than a third. So slowly, slowly, districts around the country have slowly, slowly spent less and less money on teacher salaries. At the same time, the research has come forward from the left, from the right, from every corner, every ed school has have all agreed that the most important part of the school is not whether they're whiteboards. The most important part of any school is the is the faculty. And we have had an experience now for many, many, many years where 50% of teachers leave within five years. So that brain drain would be completely unsustainable in any other profession. So I think part of the reason that it's been a messy, 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 marshy problem to solve is that we've been trying to convince 14,000 separate districts to pay attention to this issue. So what Frederica Wilson is doing is, in the best of ways, She's not taking away anyone's autonomy. What she's doing, though, is she's asking everyone to singularly focus on this issue and to solve it. And she's going to bring big attention to it. And I think it's a really exciting strategy uh, that she's employing. Uh, But we're still going to need to work with all of those 14,000 districts. It's going to be big to solve this. Wow. Well, our listeners, I'm sure, are going to want to follow uh, this project and follow the act. Uh, how can they get more information about the Teacher Salary Project? It would be amazing if they went to teachersalaryproject.org and tracked us. It would also be amazing. We will be constantly putting updates on our website. The entire act, you can read the entire thing on our website. It's so beautiful to see our American democracy at work. They can see it. The next best thing they can do is wherever they live and whatever political party their congressional leaders are from and their senators are from, the other blessing that they could provide is they could just write a note and say, you know, my mom's a teacher, my brother's a teacher, I was a teacher, I loved my teachers, like your story at the beginning of the show, I loved my teachers, and they should not be housekeeping, driving Uber, they should not have secondary jobs to survive. And we we really are at a low point when we have American parents who are telling their college students to not teach. 
And so if every one of your listeners could just send a, a love note, it costs nothing, and just say, this is really important to me. Could you help by paying attention to this and let's get this done? So that would be the two, the two action steps that would be hugely beneficial is if the legislators really hear from Americans that this is serious and it should be top of the list, they will listen. Philly's favorite listeners, you have heard it directly uh, from Nineveh Caligari of the Teacher Salary Project. Ma'am, thank you for your work on this effort, and we are going to continue to track the progress of the act, uh, and we hope to see it on the president's desk sooner rather than later because our teachers deserve better. Thank you for all you do. And we'll be right back after these commercial messages. Hey, Philly's favorite listeners, welcome back to the pastor's office, and we certainly want to thank you again for joining us uh, this Sunday afternoon. Hey, listen, you know the mayor's race is heating up, right? Uh, all right, let me, let me just do a brief recap of uh, where we are today. Over the last couple of months, there have been several members of the Philadelphia City Council that resigned their positions. Uh, we've actually talked to all of them here in the pastor's office uh, uh, since they've resigned. But let me remind you that it was Derek Green, Sherelle Parker, Helen Gim, Alan Dome, and Maria Quinones Sanchez. They've all jumped in to the mayor's race to become the 100th mayor of Philadelphia. Uh, you can also add to that list Jeff Brown, the former controller uh, for the city of Philadelphia, Rebecca Reinhardt. Uh, we've got a very, very packed race for mayor. But what has in some ways not gotten as much attention is the fact that there were individuals that needed to replace the members of council. And so our journey here over the next few weeks is to work to introduce you to many of our new members of the city council, those who are going to be making some important decisions that impact the lives of Philadelphians. So today we are excited and ecstatic uh, to welcome into the pastor's office for the first time Council Member at Large James Harity. Council Member at Large Harity, welcome into the pastor's office. Come on in and have a seat. Uh, thank you, Pastor. Great to be here. Thank you. Well, listen, first of all, congratulations on uh, obtaining a seat in the Philadelphia City Council. I always have to ask, first of all, how does it feel? Great question. It feels good. I feel humbled. It was a big day for me all around. I was also the political director for the state of Pennsylvania. So we had a, uh, a big, big election day. Yeah, you did. Pennsylvania was in the center uh, of everybody's focus on election day. So you had a you had a big job. So tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into politics. Well, uh, I got into politics when I was uh, fairly young. I started uh, hanging signs for uh, a ward leader in South Philadelphia in the second ward by the name of uh, Henry Buddy Sanfrani. 
came up doing constituent service, got my first job in politics with former city controller Jonathan Seidel. I uh, was an investigator there, mostly fraud, uh, residency, illegal dumping, stuff like that. From there, I went over to the Philadelphia Sheriff's Office, worked for John Green as the labor relations liaison, handled uh, a lot of the strike stuff. We had uh, two units, one that went out and arrested them, and one that went out and tried to make the peace and make sure everything was kosher, and uh, that was the unit I was assigned to. Uh, mostly the time, you know, bringing out pizza and beer and just talking with them, asking them to stay calm and, you know, giving them their right to protest, but also trying to keep it safe for everyone. From there, I was honored to uh, be appointed to the managing director's office under the John Street administration. I worked on the NTI program, banding autos and cleaning up the vacant lots in Philadelphia, anti-graffiti, mural arts was under our, uh, our purview. Uh, in my department. From there, I actually went back to my union. Uh, I'm a, a heavy highway worker. Uh, I've always kept my book. I'm a 23-year member of uh, Local 57. And I was out on the highway working, and Senator Street called me and said that he was going to be running for Senate. Uh, would I come over and help him? And him being my best friend, I couldn't deny him, so I went over and uh, started helping him and that was six years ago uh uh in that time we won uh, i became his special assistant for the first two years and then chief of staff for the next four from there he became the state chairman and i went over to the state party to be the political director and uh help him to bring in the victories that we did uh this past uh, election we're going to have the first African-American female speaker very shortly with uh, Leader McClinton. Leader McClinton will be on our show in just the next uh, week or so. Uh, she's been in before, and we're really excited about her elevation. Uh, we got to get past the uh, control <laughs> issue that we're dealing with, but but it would be nice to say that they're able to come to a compromise, but you know, sometimes it doesn't work that way. No, I'm pretty sure a judge will figure that one out. So, But uh, I'm confident that it will go our way. And we're going to pick up the other two seats, and then it'll be a mute point anyway. Absolutely, absolutely. So, so, so what caused you to want to move from your role as political director to running for city council? Well, to be honest with you, Pastor, it was my neighborhood. You know, I live in Kensington, G in Allegheny, and... Uh, you know, I have about 110 kids that live on my street in 58 houses. So it's a little tiny street, and, you know, I'm always out there talking to the kids, and they have bikes, and they're a little banged up, and they know I have tools. So I come home, and, you know, every night i got a few kids waiting there for me for Allen keys or whatever to fix their handlebars or help them with their chains or fix a flat. And I talk to them, and uh, they're good kids, and I'm the way the neighborhood is now, the things that they have to see on their way to school, you know, it's just outrageous. And then they go to a school that's more of a prison than a school. Uh, things need to change. And, you know, and that's one of the reasons I believe we're in this violent situation we got going on now. Well, that leads us to a great topic, um, and that is your plans, you know, your vision, what you hope to accomplish. Uh, let's let's start out. What's what's the main area of focus for council member at large charity? Well, for me, it would have to be education. 
I believe that we need to give our kids uh, a decent education, an equal opportunity, an equal education. For far too long, schools in in low-income areas have been neglected and uh, let to go by the wayside. And, you know, it's time for us to say enough's enough. You know, an educated population is not a crime-infested population. Uh, I believe the only way we're going to get out of this crime problem we have is to educate our way out of it. And we need to make it equal and uh, for everyone, an opportunity. That's what education's about, is giving somebody a chance to rise above what they, what they were born into. So, you know, one thing I, I've talked to a lot of our politicians about uh, is the condition of our schools, the, the old buildings, the ventilation issues, the lack of air conditioning in the buildings when it's hot outside. Uh, also, also, a lot of our, our students don't have proper accommodations in their homes to be able to really do their homework or when they were virtual to even stay connected to their classrooms. Talk to us, since education is your priority, about how you'd intervene or how you'd push legislation that would work in some of those areas. Oh, well, I would definitely, it starts with building new schools. Uh, the schools we have are so outdated. We need to give these kids modern schools, something that's new, something that could give them a sense of pride, something they look forward to uh, going to. Uh, you know, uh, there's we, me and the senator talk about this all the time. Uh, we figured out that each kid needs uh, probably around two outlets per desk, uh, and the average is about two per classroom. Wow. You know, even with two surge protectors, you know, with the six plug things, that's only 12 of their little notebooks or whatever they're using in there that they can plug in at one time. And with 60, 70 kids in a classroom, that means that 50-something of them are not able to charge their uh, laptops. We also have to get better with Wi-Fi for everybody. Like you said, uh, some of the lower-income students uh, parents can't afford Wi-Fi, uh, and they don't have it. And we have to get better as a society on trying to supply some of these things that are lacking. At school is where the kids spend most of their time. We have to make sure that we have the right teachers, dedicated teachers, and we do. We have dedicated teachers right now that are dealing with so much things in the classroom you know, between lead, asbestos, and, you know, all kinds of other things. And then on top of it, just the safety of the students. You know, I, I believe that we get a twofer if we build new schools. We not only give the kids a sense of pride and give them a nice place to go to school and learn, but we also create jobs. Building schools will create jobs. You're listening to Philly's Favorite 100.7 FM, and we are here talking with new council member at large, James Harrity. Uh, we are getting to know council member at large, Harrity, and his vision for the office which he now holds. Uh, council member Harrity, uh, talk to me a little bit about the violence that grips this city. We know we're on pace right now uh, for 500 murders by gun violence. We know that violent crime uh, continues to be a major issue in our community. You know, how can you work with council and how can you work with your constituent base to help us rein in this issue of crime in our streets? 
I worry about the the crime in our streets every day, uh, especially in my neighborhood. Uh, there's a a thing I'm sure you know about, what's called 57 Blocks, which is a bunch of pastors got together and they mapped out the 57 murder blocks in the city of Philadelphia. And if you look at that map, there's a big cluster in the middle, and that is my neighborhood. Yeah. What these kids see on a daily basis is giving them a form of PTSD, which is, you know, we have, they've, they've had a lot of hardship in the last couple of years, you know, for kids being shut into the house for two years, not being able to talk to their friends and not being able to meet new friends. It really did something to them. They're not communicating with each other. You know, we say the 500 murders, but, you know, we, we have 53 children under the age of 16 who have been charged with some of those murders. 53 children under the age of 16. I want to know why someone at the age of 14 feels the need to carry a gun in the first place. And secondly, where the hell are they getting them? You know, we we need to go after these people doing the ghost guns, but not just the ghost guns. Uh, Where are they getting this ammo? Because they're not going to the store to get it because they'd have to fill out paperwork to get it, and we'd know where it was going. Uh, So somebody is doing this illegally and making it. So, you know, we need to start giving our police better means of trying to track this stuff. We need more cameras in the city of Philadelphia, especially in the high crime areas. You know, we got a lot of cameras down in Center City and other areas, but the crime areas are are, are lacking. You know, we need to modernize our police force. We need more drones in the sky. They have these gunshot monitors around which are good because as soon as somebody fires a weapon, they, they know where it's coming from. Uh, but the still problem is still the police being able to get there on time with all these shortages they have. But if we had drones in the air attached to those gunshot monitors, we could have the drone fly in. And w- while we're not going to stop the actual shooting, we may catch more of these people, which will stop some of the shootings because, you know, we know for a fact that uh, – you know, this isn't a one-time thing for most people. You know, I was up on Frankfurt Avenue the other day. Uh, just so you know, our studio is in Frankfurt. And the open-air drug usage, not too far from where my church is located, is is really scary. Uh, and, you know, children walk past that. Uh, just, just normal community members walk past that type of activity on a daily basis. Uh, it, it, it's like living in a war zone, council member. Uh, yeah, uh, you don't have to tell me I'm here. That you know, I got a lot of pet peeves, especially when it comes to this neighborhood and the open air drug markets are just out of this world. I, you know, especially coming from the street administration where we shut down 390 of them. John Strait Street was able to shut down 390 open air drug markets throughout the city of Philadelphia. So we know that it can be done, and he didn't violate anybody's rights uh, in doing it. So we know that can also be done. You know, we have to come to an agreement with law enforcement. I'm glad you were talking about the the next mayor being around, because that's going to be very important, and people should really do their homework and look at people's views so they can decide on if that's the view they want for the city of Philadelphia. Uh, there's a lot of people in there, and there's going to be a lot of different views in that in that race. And, you know, the, the 
the future of Philadelphia, I believe, is in the hands of our next mayor. Uh, you know, we talk about Kensington because that's uh, one of the one of the bigger areas of it. But the fact of the matter is, I say there's little Kensingtons all over the city. That's if right. you go to Seventh Street in uh, in South Philadelphia or or parts of Southwest Philadelphia where I grew up and Leader McClinton's from. You know, we have it all over the place. Uh, you know, we got to modernize. I mean, there is a, a a policing guideline that came down from the federal government, uh, which actually says we need to get more like New York City, uh, where wherever you go, you're basically on camera. And it's not to violate anybody's rights. They're not sitting there looking at these cameras waiting for somebody to do something stupid. They use the cameras when a crime is committed so that they can go back and maybe figure out who did it. It's not to, to keep an eye on the public. That's, that they're not sitting there all day. We don't have manpower for that. But what, what it does help with, if a crime is committed and there's a camera there, we can rewind the tape, look at the video, and see what the hell went on. So I got I got to ask you this as we prepare to wind up, and, and it's been a pleasure talking to you, and I, I look forward to talking to you on your journey uh, as a member of the Philadelphia City Council, but, but balance is always important. Uh, uh, talk to us about how family is adjusting to your new responsibilities, and then, and then talk about how you're adjusting to your new responsibilities, because I've got to imagine you're on the run all the time, you don't have the same amount of free time that you used to have. I mean, you're serving a pretty wide constituent base. Yeah, you know, listen, uh, up until I got elected to the city council, my constituent base was the state of Pennsylvania. I was going to Erie almost every other day, you know, running around seven hours there, stay around for two hours doing something, and then seven hours back. So this is actually a little bit of a uh, of a little bit of a relax. Uh, <laughs> you know, this is what I do. Uh, I've been in this for a long time. Uh, I'm constantly out doing stuff. Uh, I come from a service family. My father was a police officer. My mother was a crossing guard. I do this for a living. My wife works for Senator Street, uh, constituent service in our Germantown office. You know, I, I come from a family of service, and and you know, so while while it is a little hard on the family with, uh, with not getting to see each other as much. You know, we do find time to to, to be with family. Uh, you know, I love spending time with my grandkids now. I never understood what my father meant when he said it was great with grandkids. He was very strict with me and my brothers, but with my grand, with my children, he was uh, very relaxed. And I, I I asked him one time, "What was up? Are you getting sloughed in your old age?" And he said, "No. Listen, I've been feeding him sugar since he got here. He said in about an hour, I'm going to go take my nap. He said that I'm going to give." them back to you that's the good thing with grandchildren you can give them back my dad my dad always used to say to me god rest his soul he wished grandchildren came first i don't know how i exactly. felt about that but but <laughs> yes 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 because yeah, you know our job's done at that point it's in the hands of the parents and why we try to teach their parents the values that they're going to need to raise the kid we get to spoil the grandkids that's right bit. that's right council member at large harity i want to thank you for joining us in the pastor's office today. We certainly want to pray God's best for you as you aim to serve the Philadelphia community at large. Uh, and if we can ever be of assistance to you uh, in, in getting a message out to our listening public, we're right here for you, sir. All the best to you. 
Uh, you too, Pastor Mason, and thank you so much for having me on. Uh, and listen, I'm here for you too. Anything you need, you got a question or a concern, I would love to know about it. Sounds like a plan. Thank you, sir, for joining us. Let's take a little time and talk now about the state that we are living in. Political, spiritual, maybe some life. While you're while listening to Phyllis Faber. Yeah. Take a minute, turn the radio yeah. up. And take a seat in the pastor's office. Right. Right. The frequency, yeah. tune in. Get a word with Reverend Jonathan Mason. Oh, yes, you should. Take a minute, turn the radio up. And take a seat. Son.